The EMV chip is without question more secure than the MagStripe, but it's not foolproof. Card fraud will not be eliminated because of EMV, but EMV will limit the types of transactions, such as card present transactions, that hackers can compromise, at least with the ease they've come accustomed to in the U.S. today. Jeremy King, International Director of the PCI Security Standards Council, says the U.S. is poised to reap many EMV benefits the rest of the world did not early on in its EMV migration. But as the global economy becomes more unified, the fraud trends that impact the U.S. are not and will not be isolated. Here King, who spoke this week about EMV and card fraud at the CART Secure Connections event in Washington, shares his take on how the EMV migration in the U.S. will impact fraud in the rest of the world and why complementary technologies should be deployed now. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. Hi, Jeremy. First, before we get started, let me just ask, do you think the U.S. will ever be fully EMV compliant? So let me start by saying hello, uh, Tracy, and, and thank you very much for this opportunity. I do actually think that the U.S. will become EMV compliant, but the thing is, is that as the biggest marketplace globally, it will take a little bit more time. It does take time to issue new chip cards to every cardholder in the U.S. It does take time to have all of the merchants uh, migrate to chip terminals, and it also takes time to actually have all of the systems updated to be able to manage the chip transactions. But the U.S. is doing very well. 2015 is going to be a key year of his 2016, and I think by the end of then, you will see over 80% migration to EMV chips. So, Jeremy, how will PCI compliance and EMV work together? What will that look like? I think in your introduction, you, you highlighted one of the key aspects, and that is that globally where EMV chip cards have been introduced and rolled out, we see a significant drop in the face-to-face -face fraud. Uh, and that is fantastic news, and that is a really good step forward. However, the chip technology is not yet fully beneficial in what we call the card not present space. So for your e-commerce, when you're buying goods using your computer or your mobile phone, your m-commerce space, you're not getting the benefit of the chip card. In those situations, it is imperative that the merchants and the organizations in the process have adopted and implemented the PCI data security standards to ensure that they are protecting the cardholder data. And in that regard, to get the best level of security, we need the EMV chips for the face-to-face -face transactions, but we also need the PCI data security standards to protect all of the cardholder data through the back-end systems and throughout all of the different payment opportunities and options that are available today. So, Jeremy, let's talk a little bit about tokenization. It's not necessarily part of PCI compliance, but the PCI Security Standards Council has come out to promote tokenization and suggest that retailers deploy tokenization. If tokenization takes off as it's expected to, won't the need, though, for PCI compliance merely go away? No, it won't. It will significantly help, but the reality of the need of, of protecting all of the cardholder data throughout any of the different payment processes means that you will still need to adopt and implement the PCI standards. If I may just take us back a little bit there, when you talked about uh, tokenization, I think one of the key things at the moment is that both PCI and EMVCO have both been releasing and developing tokenization programs and, and standards, but actually there is a, a key difference between how those standards work. So if I may, I'll just give a little bit of background into that. 
for the EMV tokenization process. EMV have been looking at creating a method by which instead of using your card data to enable or to initiate the transaction, you actually, as the cardholder, receive a token. And then you use that token to undertake the transaction. So you're really, in those situations, your cardholder data is not going through the transaction process. That makes a significant improvement in reducing the carbon present fraud. For the PCI, our tokenization best practice document, is all about the situation where you're still using your credit card to initiate the transaction, but then as the merchant, you want to try and remove that cardholder data at the earliest opportunity, and our PCI tokenization standard gives the details of how you can do that. And then, again, you've removed the cardholder data from the transaction process, and again, that improves things from the card not present space. If the whole world migrated and if every transaction migrated to a tokenization space, then yes, you could say that the need for PCI would lessen. However, this isn't going to happen in practice for a number of years, and even then, the actual percentage of transactions it won't remove all of the transactions, so that's why merchants will still need the PCI data security standard. So let's expand a bit then on tokenization, and, and you brought up some great points, Jeremy, talking about some of the recommendations that the PCI Council has put out and how those differ from this standard that EMVCO has set. Merchants have requested that there be a standardization body, a neutral standardization body, that sets a standard for tokenization. They say that the standard set by EMVCO really doesn't meet their needs. What's the PCI Council's take there? Do you support the standardization of tokenization? From PCI's perspective, when we were developing our guidelines on tokenization, we actually undertook a lot of research and a lot of work with the merchants because tokenization as a process has been around in the industry for a number of years, and it's been used in different ways and at different parts of the process. So what we tried to understand how tokenization was being used, where tokenization was being used, so that we don't want to stop people using what is a good system. What we want to make sure is if they're using tokenization, then we have got confidence that it is a good process, a secure process, and that it is going to give the levels of protection that we want. And again, that is probably that is part of the reason why we released our initial document as a guidance and best practice, so that we could continue to work with the merchants and with the industry to ensure that everyone understood what we were wanting to do and where we wanted to go. And then as we make progress, it could be that you know in future iterations we'd release it as a standard, knowing that industries have a chance to get used to what we're wanting and as they develop their second iteration, they will then start designing that specifically to meet our requirements. And the whole process improves and moves forward, and that is really one of the key things for the council. We want inclusion, we want cooperation, and we think how we're going about it is going to deliver that. So let's shift gears for a moment here, Jeremy, and talk a little bit about fraud losses in other markets relative to lingering stripe technology in the U.S., how has the lingering MagStripe technology still used here impacted fraud losses in other markets such as the UK or even other parts of Europe? It's been one of those hot topics. Whenever you talk to anyone in Europe about the, uh, the continued use of, of magnetic stripe cards, it's always been a problem because in all of the fraud figures for Europe, the US tops by a significant majority the level of fraud, both 
from fraudulent cards coming from the US and being used in Europe and also European card holders going to the US and having their cards compromised. So when we learned that the US was finally migrating to AMV, we saw this as a fantastic step forward to improving and tackling the face-to-face -face fraud, which we know AMV chip cards give us. So we know that the EMV chip is more secure than the MagStripe. Can we talk a little bit about authentication? How is authentication enhanced with the chip? The real benefit of the chip card is that the chip itself uses the latest cryptographic techniques to ensure that the card itself can be authenticated during the transaction. So we know if the transaction's taken place that the card itself must be there. And that's one of the benefits that actually the US has got is the US is going to not roll out the old early iteration chip cards. They are getting the very, very latest chip cards which use the very latest cryptographic techniques. And so the US is really benefiting from the lessons learned in Europe. You've then got to try and authenticate the, the, the card holder. And really there are, there are two key ways of doing that. One of the ways is you can use a PIN, the other way is to use the signature. And there are pros and cons for each of those. You know, I often read in, in the press that people are saying that PIN is so much more secure than the signature. Actually, the most of the security comes from the card. If you're going to do a fraudulent transaction, you have to steal the card. You have to have that card, you must have stolen it. So now, if you take the situation where we're using a PIN, if I'm going to steal your card, I've probably watched you enter your PIN, so I'll have written that down. So now I've got your card and your PIN. Now that allows me to go to an ATM and take your money. If on the other hand I'm using card and signature, then I can steal the card and now I can either fraudulently use your signature or just write whatever because sometimes they're not checked. In this case, I can go to the shop and buy myself a Rolex watch but I can't go to the ATM and empty it of your money because I don't have the PIN. So it's pros and cons, and really, you know, it's, it's what people are used to, how they think that's going to become affecting in a particular country, and in the US, the adoption has been mainly for signature. But the pure security comes from the chip card itself. I want to come back to ask one more question about authentication, but while we're talking about the security mm. of the chip itself, Jeremy, is there any data or information that could be saved on the chip, either by the issuing institution or perhaps even the cardholder himself, that could be read or copied? That's an interesting question. A chip has the capability to have more than just the payment application. However, practice has shown in Europe that we don't tend to put many additional applications on the chip card. You know, when we first launched chip cards in the UK, we were all saying, yeah, we can put all these loyalty applications on and all these different types of applications on. The reality is that in general terms, people are focused on just the payment and now they can't get your personal information on there because there isn't that much on it. So then let's go back to talk about authentication a bit. Something that you've noted in your presentation at this event in DC is something called combined data authentication. What is that? So if you look at the history of the chip themselves, in the early days, we used what something called static data authentication. And this was the early form of, of cryptography, and the cryptographic data remained the same through every transaction. That was very good, but it wasn't the best technology. And actually, it was capable, if you had a really, really clever criminal, he could actually copy that data. And so Brian has moved on to dynamic data authentication, and that then became a dynamic transaction every time you did a transaction 
there was a new cryptographic uh, authentication process. The combined data authentication is just taking that to the next level and really giving you the very, very latest technology, which means you can never say never. You're sort of 99.999% certain that this data can't be copied and reused. Therefore, if the transaction is going through, back to what I said earlier, you know for certain that the card is actually there. And actually, that is why when you look at the impact on the face-to-face -face fraud figures of EMV, you see that once that is rolled out and really mature or really you know you've got the coverage those fraud figures fall off significantly you know, in the UK the fraud figures fell from a peak of about 189 million pounds down to about 40 million pounds that was in 2008 they're still at that level now what's that six years later seven years later but it doesn't remove fraud altogether because the criminals just turn their attention to what they can do and what they can do is card not present fraud and that's where PCI fits in. So Jeremy, let's talk about some of the massive card data breaches that we've seen such as Home Depot and Target. Would EMV have prevented some of these massive breaches? I mean, I think the understanding has been or the perspective from the PCI Council is that EMV probably would not have prevented the Target breach. It's a very, very interesting question and one that I've debated with colleagues quite a lot. And the reality is, no, it wouldn't. And the reason it wouldn't is that in an EMV transaction, there are certain data elements, your cardholder name, the primary account number, and the expiry date, which are still sent in clear text. And the reason for that is that we need to be able to send the transaction to the right bank account of the right bank to the right person. And so those data elements were sent in the clear. So if the tactic was carried out in Home Depot and Target was used, they would get that information. What they wouldn't be able to do was they wouldn't be able to make the clone cards that they did and then use those to commit face-to-face -face fraud. What their criminals would have to do is use those in a card-not-present environment. Now, what we've seen in Europe is that they don't necessarily have to attack in the same way they can attack anywhere in the system. And that brings us back to the earlier point about, well, you know, why is tokenization so interesting and why within PCR we also run our point-to-point -point encryption program is if I can turn that primary account number into encrypted or if I can turn it into a token, then if the criminals did a target type attack or a home depot type attack, the information that they got would not be of any use to either a card present attack or even a card not present attack. So there's the real benefit of those new technologies. So then Jeremy, let's talk a bit then about, you know, some of these additional technologies that are out there and as the US makes this migration to EMV, there is the expectation that there could be upticks in card not present fraud as you noted that has been seen in other markets. There could even be ATM related fraud. What should the US be doing then to prepare for some of these upticks? And that is a really really good question. What the US has got to realize is this isn't the end. This is just another step forward, but behind that is a major challenge, and that major challenge is you've still got to protect the cardholder data throughout your organization, which means really adopting the PCI standards where we focus on people, process, and technology, training your staff to improve their awareness of data security is critical. You know, a lot of the criminals try to use phishing attacks to try and find a way into an organization, so therefore good training on basic level security is absolutely critical. 
behind that, organizations need to have good policies in place to help the training, to help people raise awareness. And then behind that, they need the technology. They need the good levels of firewalls. They need the latest technology. They need the new processes. And they must, must implement the patches that are provided by these organizations. I can't emphasize that highly enough because that allows the criminals to gain access into your system, to gain access to this cardholder data that enables them to do a card not present attack. So awareness, EMV chip isn't the end of the game. It just removes one of the big challenges or areas of fraud that has been hurting the world. But the criminals don't stop. They just move to the next low-hanging fruit. The next low-hanging fruit is card not present. So we need to train people and raise their awareness. Jeremy, thank you again for your time today. Very informative, as always. Thank you very much, Tracy. Pleasure. Again, we've just heard from Jeremy King of the PCI Security Standards Council. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.